Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really thrilled to welcome Roberta Islip to the podcast today. New Jersey-born Lucy Burdett, a.k.a. Roberta Islip, is the author of 19 mysteries, including A Scone of Contention, the latest in the Key West series featuring food critic Haley Snow, which is coming out August of 2021 from Crooked Lane Books. Bronze medal winning The Key Lime Crime is the 10th book in her Key West food critic mystery series. Her books and stories have been shortlisted for Agatha, Anthony, and McCavity Awards. She's a past president of Sisters in Crime, and we're going to talk about that as well. And she's currently serving as president of the Friends of the Key West Library. Welcome to the podcast. Thank Roberta. you. It's so much fun to be here today. <laughs> well, it's. I look forward to having this entire conversation um, because, uh, you know, when I talked to you about your writing journey, you're also a teacher. And I want to talk about that uh, uh, a little bit because I have several friends um, who have benefited from your teaching and your support and your mentorship. And um, that's such an important part of people's writing journeys. And I don't know that we always understand that when we start out. Um, So let's start about your own writing journey. And when did it start? When did you say to yourself, I want to write a book? It's so funny because I never imagined writing. I I have a PhD in clinical psychology. So yes, I wrote a dissertation, a master's thesis, many papers, but that was all nonfiction. Uh, I was a reader, but it just never occurred to me that I could write something too. So it was in the 1990s and I had met my now husband of many years and he was a golfer and I became obsessed with trying to learn to play. And I was horrible, I was so bad, (laughs) but I wanted desperately to master it. So I, I took many, many lessons. I read about it, I practiced. And the whole time thinking, what can I make out of this? And the first thing I came up with was writing some freelance articles about uh, the psychology of golf. And I got a few of those published, um, but it's hard to break in when you have no credits in magazine writing. And uh, I was complaining to a friend one day about, oh, you know, it's hard to get do this. And she said, well, maybe you should try writing a mystery because that's what we'd always shared back and forth. And Hmm. so that was the seed that was planted. I can picture where we were on the we were on the train coming back from New York to New Haven. And it must have been in the next month that I started coming up with this character who was a neurotic wannabe professional golfer 
who had family issues keeping her from performing at the level she should have been able to. So that was my right what you know, although I wasn't anywhere near professional. And so that was the first book I wrote. The character's name was Cassie, and the book was called Final Round. And I I knew nothing, Julie. I knew nothing. I had never heard of Sisters in Crime. I didn't know anyone else who was writing mysteries. And so whenever anyone asks me for advice, I say, join Sisters in Crime. You're going to be just so far ahead of where I was. So um, I spent about a year. That was back in the days when it was all snail mail. So you mm-hmm. mail out a query. And then, uh, you know, months or weeks later, an envelope would come back. Oh, thank you, not for us, or just your letter with coffee spilled on it. They came in many forms. (laughs) And after about a year of this, I heard about um, the International Women's Writers Guild was holding a Meet the Agents convention in New York City. So I took the train in there. I was so nervous. And it was about 150 just frantic, unpublished writers. And up at the front, eight agents. So they each took, you know, eight or 10 minutes to say what they were looking for. And then we all had to rush to get in line to pitch whichever ones we thought might be interested in us. Mm-hmm. So I always say I come from a big family and one thing I can do is get to the front of a line. So I <laughs> rushed up and I pitched the story and the woman said, well, send it to me. So I figured I'll never hear from that lady again. I went back home, but three weeks later, she called and said um, there had been another agent in her office looking uh, at what she was looking at, saw my manuscript, loved it, and so she wanted to represent me. And that's Paige Wheeler, the same agent I've had since uh, about 2000. Um, Wow. Yeah, so um, it was a strange trip. And then it's, you know, it's there's so many ups and downs, but it took her about a year to sell that book. They sold it as a, as a three book series, and then um, they they expanded the series to five. And meanwhile, I was trying so hard to um, do some marketing in the golf world. Well, it turns out that readers hate golf and golfers don't read. So it was just, uh, it sounded like a good idea, but it didn't sell. And by the time the, the, the fourth and fifth book came out, the series had already been cut. So it was, I know other people have had this experience. It was devastating because I didn't understand that's how publishing works. Uh, at least the big publishers. At least by then, I had met Hallie Efren, and she pulled me into Sisters in Crime, so I had a lot of support. 
Well, we're going to talk a lot more about the publishing journey because one of the uh, many things I admire about you is that you're, you've talked about, you know, that, and uh, you, you know, we first met, I didn't actually probably talk to you, but you were president, I think president of Sister in Crime New England um, at the first crime bake I went to, which is a, a conference we have here in New England, um, which was the second crime bake. And, you know, you're talking about this and talking about that. And the publishing journey is is so up and down and fraught and turning until you find the series that keeps going as you have with your Key West series. But can we talk about your writing journey again? I mean, from going to a friend saying, why don't you write a mystery to writing a mystery? What's what's in between there? I I took I did take classes, but not so much mystery writing, because that's uh, not what was I lived in New Haven at the time. That's not what was available. But I took anything, children's writing, magazine writing, anything, because I I knew how to write, as I said, nonfiction, but not fiction. And I I still have those manuscripts, those first ones. And everything was handwritten and there's covered with sticky notes. And my husband, who who is a business writer, he had a publishing company for businesses. He would come home and I would thrust whatever pages I had at him. (laughs) And, you know, he would do his best to give feedback. Um, So that was the beginning, not knowing and not even having any idea how much I didn't know. I also, uh, we have a wonderful bookstore in our town, RJ Julia, which I Mm. feel so lucky to have. And there was, I think it started at RJ Julia, a a writer's group that was, um, that waxed and waned so people could drop in and out. And you came and you read your stuff out loud. So it wasn't uh, a read ahead and really think kind of writer's group, but it was the first chance I had to really meet with writers and hear them talk. And it was there that I met Ange Pompano and Chris Falcone, who are the three of us still work together every two weeks. So that That's has, that has been so valuable to, you know, they know me, I know them, we know each other's foibles and they know the characters. Um, so that has been wonderful, really. The support of a group and an organization like Sisters in Crime makes all the difference because it's so hard. The work is so hard and it's so lonely. And if you don't motivate yourself, there usually isn't anybody knocking on your door and saying, you know, what have you got today? It's you. It's you having to sit and decide this is what you want so badly. I think it's such a key thing to to talk about is it's with your um an emerging writer you're you're just starting out you think uh you have to do it by yourself because writing is solitary but finding your community and the people who care um who may not be the people who love you the people who love you want you to succeed but they don't it's it's they don't understand necessarily what you're doing or why you're putting yourself through this right and so finding your writing group or, you know, an organization like Sisters in Crime or other other writers is just critical it's to the critical. journey. And also finding out 
what kinds of people can support you constructively, but helpfully, because this is something we learned in that first group as people were coming in and out. There were people who were there just to slice and dice uh, whatever someone else presented. And then there are people who would say everything's wonderful, even though you're pretty sure it's not. So <laughs> finding the balance of somebody who can be constructive um, before you have an editor is is crucial. I mean, I love editing. I love finding someone who can edit me. That's such a gift. It is such a gift and it's such an important part of, of writing. Um, so you talked about your trio um, and that you've been working with them for how many years now? So they knew me before uh, the first golf mystery had ever been a twinkle in my agent's eye. So I'm going to say that was the first one was published in 2002. So it was probably 1999. That's a long wow. time. Yeah. That is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> that is a long time. Um, you know, the golf mysteries, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I can remember seeing you on a panel at some point, and you're saying that your first mystery isn't the first mystery. The first mystery in that series wasn't the first mystery that was published. Your second one was published and then you used elements from the first one, you know, exactly. and wove it into others. Yeah. Am I remembering that? No, correctly? that is correct. And the the reason why that first one didn't sell it, first of all, it probably wasn't very good because it was my first. Uh, there was some kind of spark in it that attracted Paige's attention but when she found an editor at Berkeley who was interested in it, I was down in Florida doing research for the what I thought was the second book. And um, Paige said, called me and said, oh, we have some really good news, blah, blah, blah. Cindy Wong at Berkeley is interested in buying a series. But she wants, um, the, my character in the first book was caddying carrying the golf bag for a man on tour. And they did not want her to be carrying a bag for a man. They wanted her to be playing herself. And I said, oh, but she can't play professionally yet. She has too many issues she has to work through. And uh, they just didn't care about her issues. They, you know, this is what they wanted. So so that's what you also learn over and over is, OK, this isn't working, so let's try this. And so that second book that I was researching became the first. And yes, I did crib uh, backstory and other pieces from that first one, um, which still has a big place in my heart. Of yeah. course it does. It's your first book. But this, I think that that uh, lesson of if being willing, you've got an agent who's supportive of you. You've got an editor who's interested if you'll make changes and you've got to make the decision. Am I going to make those changes or not? Right. Um, but that's, that's the business side of, of writing. Side. But it's also the writing side because you're so close to your work that it's hard to hear from someone else that um, this isn't quite hitting it. Or it may be fine writing, but it's not going to sell. It wasn't until the third book, uh, Libby Hellman, who was the president 
of Sisters in Crime two years before me, we had gotten connected fairly early on in our journey. And she mentioned to me about an editor, an independent editor that she was using. And she also had a traditional publisher, but she hired this woman to uh, edit her stuff before she sent it in. So this sounded like a good uh, idea to me, and it, it was expensive relative to what advances are, but it, it I think it pushed me ahead by such a leap mm-hmm. to, to invest in yourself as a writer. It always worries me when someone is self-publishing who doesn't decide they need an editor because everybody needs an editor. And yeah. it can, if you find the right person, can really help you jump to an, to another level. So um, I used her for, I'm going to say, the next three books. And she mm-hmm. taught me an amazing amount about writing. This was um, Nora Cavan, Ruth Cavan's daughter. And she wow. was just very sharp about, you know, if you're going to have your character do this, she looks ridiculous. She's, you know, she's doing something really dumb. So is that what, is that what she really is like and making you really think about, okay, I remember in that first book that she edited, it took place at the golf course in our town. And she said to me, um, do you know what really happened before they found the body? How exactly did the person get killed? And how did they end up in this marsh? And I hadn't even thought that through. And here, this was my fourth mystery. So I'm just saying, I I love having an editor and I don't mind spending the money because uh, I'd rather the editor find something ridiculous than hear Mm -hmm. back from a reader. And and I'm really invested in becoming the best writer, a better writer. Yes. And that's what I was uh, I was going to talk about is is the willingness to to take helpful and constructive criticism. So earlier when you talked about slash and dash people at the um, at in writers groups, those are not helpful folks, you know, because they just tear you down and that's not helpful. But having somebody who said who believes in your potential, but will say this isn't working or you need, you know, do you want this to happen? Or if this happens, it's going to impact that is or Do you want that to happen? It's just critical. It is. And I can remember the first um, critical feedback I got from her was 40 single spaced pages. Oh my God, how bad could it be? I had to go lie down for a while before (laughs) I could even look at it. But that was exactly what you're saying. Somebody who believed that I could be a better writer and was going to show me some ways to do that. It's so important. And she felt it, the project was worth her time to create yeah, that kind I, I of feedback. She wouldn't have taken it if she, yeah, if she didn't. Yeah. Because yeah. editing, wow, is editing hard work. Very hard work. Very hard work. Um, 
you know, so this is this editing and this putting yourself out there and meeting people and being willing to pitch and, and doing all this is part of your writing journey. Um, you've written three series and we could talk a little bit more about that, but, you know, in this journey, have you developed a process? Do you have a specific process that works for you for writing or does every book happen differently? It's changed a lot um, because at the beginning, when you, I just didn't know what I was doing, I, I really felt I needed to plot things out. And yet plotting things out does not come naturally to me. It's almost as though I don't know what's going to happen until I write it. But I didn't know enough to be able to do that in the beginning. Now I I don't write an outline. I uh when I, as I'm writing for example I'm finishing the 12th book in the series that comes after uh Scone of Contention. If I have an idea I quickly go and jot it in that in that file because I don't want to lose it but I don't start out with uh I don't start out with a whole plan and um I do sometimes get to the end like this one that I'm writing there's parts of it that I really like but I know what I've come up with for the uh, for the murder and for who else the characters have to investigate some of them don't even show up at the beginning because I didn't think of them until I was writing. So I'm a much more, um, as I write, oh my gosh, there's that idea and that idea. And always thinking about Nora's question, what would the character do? Not what do you want to force her into because you right. want your plot to happen. So that still serves me well. That's such an important point <clears throat> and such a, uh, you know, when I talk to actors, they it's the same process. They need to believe in what the character would do, not what needs to be done in order to get to the yeah. scene or to move the picture yeah. across the table. They need to, to understand motivation and backstory and everything else. And um, characters don't always... Um, cooperate with you as you're trying to to recognize as you're writing it we had a writer's group earlier today and Angelo and Chris will still say uh I don't think that guy talks like that you know okay well let me think about that I I one other thing I learned over all these years is never say no that doesn't work that's absurd I'm not listening to this person even if the person is wrong about what's wrong, they're putting their finger on something that's not working. And then you take that in. And then later on, when you're working by yourself, say, okay, that's not working. I don't think this is the answer, but what, what is the answer? So even there was for a while, uh, a person in the writing group that just was like nails on a chalkboard to me. But when she said, this isn't working because of this, I listened to the this isn't working part. Mm-hmm. So That's excellent advice. Separate the people from, yeah. from the criticism. I mean, I think your psychology background can <laughs> probably help you do that a little bit more than some people do. Right? Yeah. 
Um, so this, you've given some great writing advice. What's the worst piece of writing advice you've ever gotten or heard? Well, a- anybody who says you have to do it this way, it, it, it doesn't work like that because each writer is different. You could have, you could consider, well, would that way w- work for me? But um, even um, this, this series of books that I'm writing for Crooked Lane now, I think I'm lucky that they don't ask for a synopsis ahead of time because I was so bad at writing them. I would have the opening all nice and clear and I knew what might come right at the end and then sort of wave my hands at what was in the middle. (laughs) And so I'm quite grateful that they're not pushing me to uh, write a, a synopsis of something that I I don't believe in. And uh, another thing that's helpful, my husband, he's not obligated to read everything. Usually now he doesn't read until the book comes out. But he, I do ask him to brainstorm with me if I'm stuck. And he's good at that. Except when he says, well, what does your synopsis say? My synopsis doesn't say anything. <laughs> There's nothing in it except the opening. So that trying to push you to do it a certain way, except of course, if if you find a publisher that wants a synopsis, by golly, you figure out how to write one. But I used to travel a lot with um, with Jessica Spirit and Lori Avocado. We did a lot of um, library events together, and that that was so much fun. Well, Jessica had had a lot of books published, and she would write a sixty-page outline before she ever started wow. writing, and then she could write the book fairly quickly. Lori never wrote a, a word about plot; she just sat down and you know, typed away, oh, this could happen, that could happen. And they both worked. So I think that's important is to don't be pushed into something that doesn't fit. Except at the beginning, you don't know what fits. So then listen to everything. And adapt and change. Mm Um, you have taught uh, writing and, and uh, you know, different uh, programs in different ways. And there, you, you ran a program for a few years called Seascape. Seascape, Escape to Write. Um, which I always regret never taking. Uh, but I have friends who just, it was changed, it changed everything for them. Um, it, because it was a, a concerted uh time it was a, a concentrated time uh, it was a you know you and uh Hallie Efron and Hank Philippi Ryan um you know as mentors as teachers can you talk about um that and the process of mentoring people as well yes we it was it was a very exciting time I, I think it was Hallie and I who thought it up and um, in Connecticut, where I am now, there is uh, Sisters of Mercy or um, property that's not too far from here. And on that property is a house that used to belong to Marlo Thomas that they moved there. 
and it had, um, I don't know how many bedrooms, seven or eight bedrooms. Um, everyone ended up having to share a bathroom, which as you get older, you're not so excited about. <laughs> but we also had, uh, we had a, a kitchen, we had lots of meeting space, and it was on the Long Island Sound. So you could go out and write outside or, you know, just rest from things. So before, um, I'm thinking we we had a limit of 20, somewhere around 20 people. Mm-hmm. And everyone submitted 30 pages ahead of time. And Susan Hubbard started out to be the third person. The three of us would read all of that. And I think that's why we kind of backed away after about five years. It's a huge amount of work. Because we're not just reading, we really want to give a lot of constructive feedback. And then we had three uh, different groups one was focused on character, that was mine. And the other ones, um, one was plot maybe, and one was openings. So they, and we switched it up when we uh, wanted to teach something different. And then you were in a group of six or seven who got to hear from the teacher of of each of those um, aspects. So those groups got very friendly and very, uh, most of them very helpful to each other. And then we had a lot of time to to bond at night. And then Hallie and I went home to my house so that we could sleep and they stayed up all night. I don't know. <laughs> they did. <laughs> so the stories was, I've heard, they did stay up all night. <laughs> and, uh, and amazingly, how many of them were published yeah, which I don't take credit for, but I think it was a, a moment for some of those groups of really deciding to take themselves seriously as mm-hmm. writers, which is mm-hmm. similar to what I did with hiring an editor. At some mm-hmm. point, you're saying, I'm going to invest in myself. And just, yeah. Very important. No, I, you know, as I said, I, it was, it didn't last forever, but it had a huge impact uh, on all mystery genre, but the New England community, you know, there's still people who talk about it with tremendous fondness. Yeah. So publishing is different than writing. We talked about this before we started to record. Um, you know, you've published 19 books. That's a lot of books. So pretty much a book a year since you you started, or maybe it's been a book a year. Um, what's surprised you most about the publishing journey? Well, when when I started, as I already described, I didn't know anything. So everything surprised me. Um, I can remember going to Malice Domestic and uh, at you meet, which is a big mystery conference, especially focused on traditional mysteries. You usually meet with your editor for who you don't get to see often, and um, and talk about what what's happening. And I met with her. This was right as the third golf mystery was coming out, and that's when she told me that the series was being cut. Well, I was stunned. I was absolutely, I had no idea. I, you know, I just, you didn't really even have a way of 
knowing how many you were selling. It, it was not nearly as mechanized as it is now. So I was crying and then I had to go to my book signing and I was sitting next to this very nice man and uh, I, he said, well, you know, who are you? And I said, oh, and I'm Roberta Islam. Well, my series just got cut. Well, he said, you know what? I think really series have a natural ending and it might be seven books. So he was very kind, very supportive. And then I realized he was HRF Keating, the guest <laughs> of honor, who had like 27 books in the same his same series that were hugely popular. But I will never forget that that kindness that yeah. <laughs> and I find that's true in the mystery community. All, uh, you know, all the way around, people are very supportive, especially Sisters in Crime. Uh, I am so grateful to Hallie for dragging me into that. And then she was president of New England Sisters before me. And she said, I think that you should do this. This would be good for your career. <laughs> and then that brings you to the Crime Bay Conference and you're, you're involved in that. So, um, yeah, that was surprising. And then, so I had to, I think one of the surprises is that you always have to figure out how to pivot. Something mm -hmm. doesn't work, then either you pick it up yourself and self-publish, which is easier nowadays and a lot more accepted, or else you come up with another idea and pitch it. So that's what I did after the golf series. I um, pitched a, a series featuring a clinical psychologist, which was my work before I became a writer, who lived in the next town over from me. And um, she, I, I love those books, but I think that she was an advice columnist mm -hmm. and she was also in therapy because I try to get everybody into therapy in these books. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I think that they were a little bit edgier than than they were being marketed. So that mm -hmm. that was a surprise too. If they're marketed as a cozy, you better not have something too scary happen in them. Right. Right. And I went to uh, sign books at a bookstore in Connecticut and the woman said, there was a woman in here last week and she said, this is the scariest book she's ever read. This was Deadly Advice, the first advice column mystery. And she's not going to read anymore if things happen like this. And I said, whoa, well, okay, that's good to take in. Uh, and so after three books, those didn't those didn't sell well enough to be carried forward either. So then I heard, I think this is the other thing, word of mouth. And here, you know, I know this was so useful to a bunch of people and the New England sisters in crime hearing about an agent who was looking for a certain thing. And then mm -hmm. it's not what you thought you were going to write, but why not try it? So mm -hmm. um, my editor, Sandy, uh, Sandy Harding at NAL, was looking for someone to write uh, about a food critic. So I hadn't thought about that, but I love to eat and I love food. So that was no hardship. And we had just started spending a lot of time in Key West and 
that's such a fun setting. So I I pitched that and they bought it. Okay, so that was a that was a turn. And then a lot of people will remember, or maybe not, although it was looms large in my head. Um, uh, Berkeley NAL decided that they were publishing too many cozy mysteries. So boom, they cut about a half or a little more of their mm -hmm. list and fired a bunch of editors, including mine. And so I went down then too. I, you can't think that's your fault. It's just uh, publishing. It's publishing, yeah. They, you know, they are driven by sales. So you you have to be ready to go with that. Um, and then uh, while I was depressed about that series ending after seven books, as Mr. Keating suggested, I was... Uh, trying to write other things. And then Paige was able to sell that same Key West series to Crooked Lane. Mm -hmm. So I've been lucky enough to um, be on number 12 and I have 13 under contract. But while I was uh, cooling my jets, I wrote another book, a darker book that then I just put away when this contract came. And now Paige has sold that. So you just never know. You just, you know, make each book the best you can and keep your eyes open for opportunities. Well, it's exciting about the new book. Are you, so Lucy Burdett is the name on the Key West True Critic series. Um, and, you know, we people change names in order to get a fresh start or right. for, for readers to think it's a new author, but it's a hidden, it used to be more of a hidden secret. Now it's an open secret no, that somebody uh, has many names. And this thing, um, she asked me if I would change my name and I said, fine. Uh, Lucy Burdett is my grandmother's name. So she, I was allowed to choose it and I'm happy with it. It's much easier to spell than Islib. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it's, funny when she when Paige sold this um this book that's coming out this fall from Severn Press, I assumed they would go back to Roberta's name because she wrote a little darker. But that's not what they wanted. They wanted Lucy because Lucy's mm -hmm. selling better. So I'll just have to warn my readers. This is not a this is not a cozy read. It has a happy ending because I can't help that. Because <laughs> that's who you are. What's the name of this book that's coming out this fall? It's Roberta? called Unsafe Haven. Unsafe Haven. I can't wait to uh, hear more about it. Congratulations. That must be a thrill to, to a thrill. sell something new and different. It is. And to have this be an English press. And mm -hmm. they're just so good. Their editing has been superb and they're fast. It's really, and, and they came up with a cover without any agony. So they didn't make me change the title. It's been so far so good. That's great. That's so, and it's a standalone or is it potentially a series? No, it's, I, I think it's a standalone. Yeah. Everything's great. kind of wrapped up. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations on that. So we talked about this a little bit, but let's talk about Sisters in Crime. Um, and 
the wonderful Hallie Efron dragging you in. Uh, you were president of the New England chapter uh, and that we met through the New England chapter, uh, which is a large chapter uh, and covers all six New England states, which is one of the reasons it's so large. And there are also a lot of mystery writers here in New uh, England. Yeah. Um, but then you became the national president. Mm-hmm. And that's a different um, path. And also that's a, a big responsibility. Can you talk about, um, you know, why you uh, were willing to serve this organization in that way? Well, I, I love the organization. It really has been so much help and support to me. And I'm also kind of bossy, so I don't mind running things. <laughs> And um, Libby Hellman, who I mentioned earlier, was the um, was the incoming president. And she uh, called and said, would you consider coming on the board as vice president and sort of learning the ropes? And then you would be the next president. So I did. It was fun. It was uh, I was mentioning before we started uh, recording It was not an easy time to be president because the biggest conflict was, is self-published, are self-published books uh, really acceptable or should it only be traditionally published books? And we pretty much spent the year trying to figure out who... uh, who belonged in the books and print, which was a, a printed publication at that point. Um, I think it was a tipping point uh, in how people thought about self-publishing. Mm-hmm. I, I think there is a lot more acceptance of it and, and traditionally published writers realize it's another route and it's a way to keep an old series alive. Um, or to try out something new and see what you can do. So uh, I think that was our main focus. One of the things I enjoyed, well, besides the people that I worked with, which were just uniformly terrific, um, was having the chance to go on into New York with, uh, with a team of six people and go around and talk to different publishers and different agents. And we went to Library Journal one year and just ask them, you know, about the workings of the publishing business. So that was very exciting. I It, it did take a lot of time and maybe a year's worth of writing if I had been more organized, I could have done both. But um, I, that also was when the contract, one of the contracts had ended. So I was betwixt and between. Um, but I, yeah, I loved doing it and I love watching them grow and all the things that are happening online. And I was yeah. thrilled to see you appointed as Chief Honcho. Well, you're very kind. I'm thrilled to be doing it. Um, so I I love 
the passion and the focus and the intention that the different presidents have brought to the organization. And as we're in our 35th year, so, you know, um, Sister in Crime started with some conversations and, and things in 1986 and became an organization in 1987. You know, what do you dream of for the organization moving forward? I I think the the same goal uh, still stands, which is supporting women crime fiction writers. Although it doesn't have to be fiction, I guess. And uh, my friend Angelo, who has been now on the board of the uh, New England Sisters, it took me years to convince him we'd take a man. We'd be glad yeah. to take a man. <laughs> so I mean, men too, but. Women still are underrepresented in terms of uh, advances and print runs and um, and uh, cozier mysteries are considered less serious literature. Mm -hmm. um, so I think all those all those goals uh, still stand. And I love what the organization is doing for um educating people, all the podcasts and the um, classes. And one thing that I did, I don't even, you had so many people online with you. I don't know if you knew I was there, but I was trying to finish the draft of, um, of book 12 or make a lot of progress on it. So I did one of your writing camps. Oh, so I know just sitting in that room by myself, but knowing there were 80 or 100 other writers writing mm -hmm. at the same time, it was wonderful. I, you know, I really appreciate that. Uh, the idea that you're alone, but you're not. Yes. And and that is truly the um, the the joy of sisters in crime is is finding your community and i'm glad that you were on the right end i i find them really interesting they started during NaNoWriMo last year and we've continued them and we did the camps and we're going to do NaNoWriMo again this year because it's really helpful for people to yeah. <laughs> to spend time together and to set goals and to again really, find people uh, who understand you sit down you know they're not it's not a long period of time what is it 45 minutes that you're yeah. people so it's not like an agonizing amount of time but if you've told yourself i'm going to write i'm not going to plot i'm not going to you know pay bills or anything else i'm really going to just write i find that that shakes loose a, a, a lot of the the blocks that were in the way so uh, and i suspect it works that way for for other people as well I hope so. I hope so for sure. Um, so you've told us about you're working on 13 in the Key West. You've got a new standalone coming out um, and I'm sure other things are percolating. But rather than put you on the spot and say, what what are you working on uh, in your writing? What are you reading right now or what's interesting you about the, the field right now? Oh, I should have brought some things over. Oh, there's one sitting right here. <laughs> I uh, I went to Princeton, so I'm always watching to see other um, writer women writers who come out of Princeton. So yeah. this woman um, was in school. It couldn't be 35 years after me, but it could be. 
And uh, so that that it's not a mystery, but it er, doesn't everything have an element of mystery in it. And uh, so sometimes I'm in the mood for a mystery and sometimes uh, women's fiction is is my other love because I'm uh, that's another thing I'm I've written over the pandemic period was a women's fiction that I'd had sitting on my desk since 2010. And I really said, look, I I really want to finish this and see if we can can um, get it going. So that's a lot of what I'm what I'm writing now. Although it's funny, um, Barbara Ross, who, whom you know very well, she often has a book out in January or February, right about the time when I am struggling with whatever is happening in my book. And it's so funny to read something that's kind of similar to what I write and say, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, look, she did that. And it's not like it's some brilliant thing. It's just, you get lost in your own weeds and, uh, and, and can't uh, get past them. So, um, of course, any, any, any of the, the jungle red writers whom I love and blog with daily, if, if they Mm -hmm. have a book coming out, that always goes to the to the top of the pile. So Jen McKinley has uh, her woman's fiction, Wait For It, is coming out the same day as mine on August 10th. And then Hank has a thriller that's getting um, wonderful reviews. So I'm looking forward to that one too. Yeah, Jungle Red Writers is an excellent writing blog uh, and reading blog. So I'm sure most people know about it, but I will put it in the show notes as well. And Roberta, can you name, read the, um, since this will be mostly audio, can you read the uh, title and the author of that book you held up? Yes, this is called A Special Place for Women by Laura Hankin. And uh, she also has the funniest Instagram. She's she's um, she can sing and act. So she's got everything. I think she's going to be somebody to watch. Okay, that's awesome. That's great. Um, Roberta, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for all you've done for Sisters in Crime. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you for chatting with me. This was a lot of fun and quite painless. (laughs) I'm glad. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast. <laughs>